0: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: See, you know when I walk out here, you are looking at what we have come to know as championship material. All right. What is going on, everybody? How you doing? What's up? Episode 268. Talk Buffalo Buffalo podcast. Big, big thank you to everybody out there as always for continuing to listen. Downloads for the show really means a lot to me. Uh, big episode here, man. It's been a big week, a very historical week. Presidential election, if you're into that stuff, if you're into the Buffalo Bills, a very big win over a very impressive Seattle Seahawks. And speaking of impressive, for the first time on this podcast, I can't believe I haven't had him on before this, but he is here today from Buffalo Rumlings, my buddy, Anthony Marino. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Hey, Pat, it's great to be on with you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have you. Like I said, I should have had you on well before. I've been a fan of your work. For people out there who may not know, Anthony is a writer at Buffalo Rumlings and also as really good podcast, Breaking Buffalo Rumblings. And for people, before we get going, because obviously we'll be talking plenty of Buffalo Bills today, but for people who may not know a lot or anything about you, tell people a little bit about yourself. Now, like I said, are you, uh, where are you from? When did you become a Buffalo Bills fan? Stuff like that.
0: Well, I'm from Rochester, New York, right? So growing up in Rochester, you know that so many fans of the Buffalo Bills come from that area as well. And You know, growing up in the 90s, right, with the great Super Bowl teams and Jim Kelly and all the other greats that, you know, that's what you do on Sunday afternoons, right, with your family, huddle around the TV, watch the game. But then you would fast forward a little bit, and I went to college in the Albany area and eventually ended up settling out this way, and there were no fans of the Buffalo Bills in this market, yeah. right? Pat? Right. Yeah. So, you know, you go through with each of it and, you know, on top of it, the team was really struggling at that time as well. And all of a sudden you become a part of this online community. And I just kind of stumbled across Buffalo rumblings.com. And, you know, this was around that time when people were just starting, you know, to find out what Twitter was and, and all of a sudden you become connected with all these bills fans across the region. And, you know, back in the day on rumbling, sometimes if you'd have, Uh, you know, even when I wasn't, you know, with the site, you would write these fan posts, right? Oh, after a game, here's some thoughts and things that I had. And you look back at it and there were a couple of posts I had. I remember it was after a loss to the the Tennessee Titans. And there were like four things that just didn't go the Bill's way. And they lost this close game and all these pieces. And I remember posting it on Twitter and uh, Del Reed, right? We all know Del from 26 Shirts, one of the co-founders of Bill's Mafia. Uh, he reached out to me and said, "If you ever want to write on our site, I would love to have you and I was like, "'Oh, well, this is fun. You know what? You can kind of take some of these connections you made and a little bit of your fandom and you know kind of put pen to paper just a little bit and and Dell really gave me a start, which was a lot of fun and uh, on top of it, back at that time, the managing editor of the Bill's Mafia website was Ryan Talbot, who everybody knows from." newyorkupstate.com. and I know you've had him on the show as well sure and uh, I went to Ryan and said you know what we should do a, we should do a podcast together but at the time right Pat we didn't understand any of the technology around it so we would do a, a live show on YouTube that we would record at the time and we would do a video podcast the two of us just getting started. And I think our first two episodes we recorded and realized that like something didn't work. So it was just our lips moving and no words coming out. But at that time, that was sort of how we both had gotten started. And we were doing that video podcast for some time. And then is got more going with that. Brian Galliford was in charge of everything at Buffalo Rumblings at that point and asked me if I'd be interested in coming over. And, you know, kind of fast forward to today and working with Matt Warren and others and Honestly, just happy to connect with so many people and talk about the Buffalo Bills, and you know, like yourself. I mean, honestly, I've been listening to your show for so many times. I mean, you were kind of that original podcaster, right? Or around the team, and so much of what was taking place and different news and different guests. It's it's just a lot of fun right now, and that's really kind of how I got going with it.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, you you mentioned Ryan Talbot, and this is one thing I've always enjoyed. Or at least I should say I have for the last couple of years anyway, especially since doing this podcast. I mean, the Bills fan community has always been a pretty tight-knit group. Nothing they seem to, you know, nothing they do really ceases to amaze us. I mean, just look no further than what's going on with the Josh Allen thing. His grandmother dies. Bills fans find out about that in what, a matter of less than 24 hours later. Last I checked, we're taping this for a Tuesday morning drop and we're taping this Monday early evening, I think it's like around over $60,000 that Bills fans have donated to uh, to Children's Hospital on behalf of his grandmother. I mean, it's just so the Bills fandom in that community never, like I said, it never ceases to amaze me. But one thing I've really enjoyed about having my podcast and having the opportunity to interact with so many people who have, at least to some extent, a similar podcast, something involving the Buffalo Bills, is that that also is becoming pretty, for the most part, anyway a pretty tight community as well. And it doesn't necessarily all have to be, you know, just bubble and Rumley's guys. Some guys from cover one, um, you, you mentioned again, Ryan Talbot, which by the way, I mean, that kid, you want to talk about a young man who's really, really come along, not just in, you know, used to call him just a blogger. That's not really the case anymore. Him and Matt Perino have an amazing podcast that they do is very successful. He's doing really good at newyork.com. He's become a very credible writer. Um, a great source for news, but anyway, it's just that whole community of Buffalo Bills podcasters and bloggers that is really pretty tight too. Now I know you have a lot of good relationships with some of these people too, as well, right? And you know what, Pat, you are right on when you talk about
0: it. I mean, so many, you know, content creators, whatever we want to call ourselves, but just you develop those relationships. So many folks, you know, appearing on other people's shows or retweeting the work that they do or chiming in or helping each other promote these things. I mean, of course, everybody's out there and you know they want to have people listening and kind of talking about their work. But I think when you talk about this group, there's so many people that just have a genuine just interest in what each other are doing. And honestly, I'll share a quick story about you, which obviously nobody knows because it's not one of those things that would have gone anywhere else. But When I was getting started with my podcast and you and I, you know, we'd chat on Twitter and different things back and forth, comment on other pieces, but, you know, you reached out to me with a couple of pieces of advice and like not overstepping bounds or anything like this of saying, Hey, you know, I noticed something here, a couple areas where you might be able to, you know, improve some of the technology that you're working on. And for me, it was one of those pieces of like, listen, man, I don't know what I should be using from a software standpoint or from this and that and just the fact that you took the time to reach out to me and say hey here's a couple of little tips that might be able to help make your show better and i was able to implement some of those things and it made such a huge difference and right it could have been easy for you to just say like oh man this you know this guy's show whatever it's you know it doesn't sound that great or it's staticky or it's this and that but the fact that you just took the time to reach out and say hey can i just share a couple of things with you that was one of the cooler things when you think about this community of podcasters that, that really just support each other. It always stood out to me, and, and I just thought that was a pretty cool moment.
1: Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I was just kind of jealous. You have a better speaking voice than I do. <laughs> Bro, oh, you, you 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 communicate a lot better than I do. <laughs> so I was like, all right, man, if your voice, is, you have a good sounding voice, you sound well, I just want to make sure that it's, that it's presented well. But, you know, in terms of Buffalo rumblings, I mean, that is a, you want to talk about a site that has really grown through the years. I can remember, so back in, I think it was 2006, not everybody knows this, but Tyler Dunn used to run the Buffalo portion of scout.com and it was something else, buffalobillsnews.com or something. And. I kind of wrote under him, and I remember this was around 2006, 2007, and I remember Buffalo Rumblings, I don't remember if they were started yet or getting ready to start, but I do remember in 2009 I started a blog, Buffalo Sports Daily, and I worked pretty closely at the time with Brian Galliford. You mentioned him, who at the time was running uh, Buffalo Rumblings, and they would put a lot of my work on the daily links, a lot of stuff that I put out there, some interviews. I remember I did an interview with uh, Daryl Talley, and Buffalo Rumblings, like, did an entire post on it. And it really helped me uh, grow the brand a little bit. It helped me get my name out there more. And so uh, I've always been a, a big fan of Rumlings because, for me personally, the the website has done a lot for me. And just from an informative news standpoint, I mean, I think Buffalo Rumblings is probably, if not one of, certainly, or if not the standards, certainly one of the biggest places to go, that fans go to uh to consume news, and that was not just renting news now it's podcasting. like I said, you do a podcast. um I've made it very clear on this podcast. I don't I've lost count how many times that I respect Bruce Nolan and I think he's as good as literally anybody out there when it comes to his knowledge of the bills, um just his podcast of Bruce exclusive, which is part of the Rumlies's podcasting network, and just the general respect that he gets in the community. I mean, nobody dislikes Bruce, you know everybody. Likes him and it's for a good reason. He's very generous. He's a good person and very smart and he, and he knows his shit. You know what I'm saying? So I've been a big fan of rumblings both from a, from a written and from a podcasting standpoint. Now, when it comes to your podcast, let me ask you a question because I know this might sound stupid, but do you enjoy doing your podcast? Like, because sometimes it's fun and sometimes am I right? Maybe I'm wrong, but it could be kind of a, a pain in the ass. to do sometimes, the bills look bad and you really don't feel like talking about it or, you know, you got stuff going on in, in your world, in the real world. It could be uh, it could be a little bit of a chore to do that and combine your real job, your life, your family, writing, which I say I don't do any writing for, you know, my blog. You write for Rolling's and stuff like that. But it could be a lot of work is what I'm basically getting at. It's not all fun and games, right?
0: No, it's not all fun and games. I mean, for the most part, it is, right? And and they try not to take it too seriously. And Sure. You know, but when you, you think about things, right? And you mentioned Bruce, who's a great example. I mean, the number of ideas and topics that he comes up with on a weekly basis, doing two shows, doing guest spots with other folks. Yeah, he's he, brilliant. He truly has a gift, right? That comes to sure. it where, you know, and, and he puts in a lot of work but there's a piece of it that just comes naturally to him with the way that he thinks about different topics and how that can fit in and how he can be, you know, you talk about being jealous of someone who has a great voice and is eloquent in all of these pieces. That is Bruce, right? In so yeah. many ways. And he is as genuine as they come and as generous as they come, which just stands out. And then I'll look at somebody like a Joe Marino, right? Who does it Monday through Friday. And it's like, yeah, Joe, grinds, you, man. you are a machine yeah. brother, right? And there's no relation. Joe and I are not related. Although people think that we are brothers, we just have the same last name and the <laughs> respect that I have for him and being able to come up with different topics each and every day and what he does. And you mentioned the great work that like, you know, Greg Thompson said and Aaron Quinn do um, Perino and Talbot, right? I mean, on top of being two of the nicest guys that embrace everyone, all of their piece. So when you look at those guys and you see how they do it on such a regular basis and to yourself, sometimes during the season, I'll find the hardest part of what am I going to talk about that is going to be different than anybody else? Yeah. I hear you, man. I, I mean, I can be the 50th podcast that gives you an update on what happened on Sunday's game. You know, you've already heard that from Fairburn and Biscaglia, or if you tune into Sal or, you know, anything along those lines, so I think when you look at it, sometimes it's just that piece um, where it's just, can you find something that's just a little bit different, you know, to tie in that isn't the same thing that everyone else is talking about, but along those same lines, I try to be a little bit of a straight shooter. I try not to get too high or too low or, you know, come with too many hot takes. Like, you know, there's other guys that are, are much better at that than I am. And I try to just uh, kind of keep it as straight and narrow as I possibly can.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's you got to have something a little bit different to uh, kind of break the monotony when it comes to Bill's podcast. Because like you said, you mentioned some of them. There's just so many good ones out there. There's others too, like the Rock Powell Report. There's some yes. some of the podcasts at Fanatics. I enjoy Absolutely. them. I'm, I'm a big fan of Joe Miller. I, you know, Rico's my guy. So, you know, there's just, it's never ending out there with quality stuff. And you got to have something that's a little bit different. Like with this podcast, I've always tried to make this a little more Personal and conversational, as opposed to just, hey, this is Anthony Marino, and let's spend 45 minutes doing nothing but talking about this Bills game on Sunday. Because, I mean, you said it perfect. I feel like if I'm just going to do that, there's people out there that A, have already done it, and B, that are going to do it better than I do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you gotta, I'm just, you, you got to kind of know what you're good at and what you should stay away from. But let me ask you one more thing about your podcast, because then I, I definitely want to talk about this game. A lot of good stuff to get to, but. You're a Bills fan. Most people who have a Bills podcast, first and foremost, are Bills fans, or if nothing else, they're at least rooted in being a Buffalo Bills fan. When you do your show, when you get your microphone and you hit record and you get ready to put out your content for anyone in the world who wants to consume it, do you, and if you don't, this is fine, but just admit it. Do you try to tackle it from the approach of being unbiased and objective? Or is your show meant for fans? Like, are you talking as a Buffalo Bills fan? Like for an example, some podcasts like the Rock Power Report. I think those are two guys who are Bills fans who don't try to pretend that they're not Bills fans. And they don't try to pretend that they're completely objective and unbiased. Now they'll blast the Bills, but they want the Bills to win. And they're going to let you know that they want the Bills to win. That's cool. Now you take somebody like the Bills beat with Joe B and Matt. You know, those guys are news media people. And frankly, I mean, I'm just being honest here. I've I had those guys on my show many times. I've talked to them many times. They really don't give a shit if the Bills win or not. You know what I'm saying? They got a job to do. And, and that's how they approach how they put their content out. Like When it comes to yours, are you approaching it mainly from being a Bills fan? Yes. And I
0: say that, right? And Again, I try not to get too high or too low. I mean, even sure. sometimes when I'll have an episode and I feel like I'm ranting and it's like I can go back and listen. And it's like, you know, as far as rants go, that's that's pretty mild, right? When you would take it compared to maybe some some others and and how they can get emotional with things. But, you sure. know, like for example, and, and guys I, I, I know and love and I think do a great job with their show, you know, some would express some disappointment after the Bills uh, beat the New York Jets 18 to 10 right? And for me, it's like, listen, no major injuries took place. Would I have liked the team to find the end zone a couple times? Absolutely. You know, I don't want to say just a win is a win and you're just happy with it no matter what. But, you know, along these lines, right? You think of this season, the number of things going on. I, I try not to get too high or too low. So I'm coming from a fan perspective, but not to that point of I'm never going to be doom and gloom. I'm never going to be telling people to book their tickets to the Super Bowl. It's going to be, you know, here's my take. I try to be even keeled with it. Um, every once in a while, with things I'll do, right, I'll, I'll definitely get more opinionated. Um, there was an article I wrote back during um, Rex Ryan's regime, where I was just done with Rex, right, and this was going into his his last season. And Galliford yeah. said, "Go ahead and write it." He was fine with it, and it was just the. The look at me attitude of everything with Rex and talking about the 2000 Ravens and how great he is and all of these pieces that it was just, I had never seen a head coach that was so much about himself and less about the team and what the team was, um, which is obviously the complete opposite of what you have right now and Sean McDermott and his staff. And I just had this piece and I just kind of went off on it. And certainly it was from a fan, but really that first piece where I was really, not even just critical, right? I mean, just dead set against a head coach. And there were people that, I mean, in the comments section, and that's one thing about Buffalo Rumblings, tons of comments on the articles, right? An active community sharing their It's thoughts.
1: crazy, dude. It is crazy how active that community is with comments. I mean, I have sometimes, especially if it's a hot topic story, I have read posts and I swear to God, I probably spent a half hour just reading some of the comments. Some of them are gold. Some of them are crazy. But anyway, not to interrupt you, but, yeah. no, but my, interactive as hell, man.
0: But there are, you know, there are people that it's like, you can't say anything against the team at right. all. And there were people that, re- I mean, in the comments section that were going at me. I mean, even to the point where Brian jumped in and was saying, like, listen, I gave Anthony the go ahead to write this. Like, he's one of our, art, you know, our. Um, contributors. He's got an opinion. This is what he wanted to say. Like, that's totally fine. And it was, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm reading this stuff and I'm sort of laughing is, I mean, some people just uh did not care for what I had to say. So from that standpoint, right, like I said, um, I'm coming from a fan perspective, but like it, at this point in my life, right? I mean, I'm 45 years old. I, I don't need to go like ranting and raving about the bills. Um, I try to keep it even keeled and, and be that, you know, reasonable, <laughs> realistic bills fan as best as I can.
1: I hear you, man. And I'll tell you what, let's transition into this game because you've talked a couple of times about being even keel and not being too high and too low. And I really try very hard, very hard to to have that same attitude on this podcast And quickly, I'll tell you this, one of the, I mean, it's not the only reason, but there's several reasons why I have my podcast on Tuesday instead of Monday. And one of them is I tend to be very much a knee-jerk reactor, and I do get overly emotional. And I feel like if I were to tape a podcast on Sunday night, just hours after a game, I would be way too high or way too low by the time people would hear it, you know, when it's released on Monday morning. I feel like that extra day gives me uh, more time to kind of process everything and, and put things into perspective. So I feel like by the time I hit the airways with with this episode, when it drops on Tuesdays, that I have a a little more of a neutral, you know, overall perspective. But that said, dude, like I'm usually subdued, but I don't want to be subdued today because I look at that game on Sunday and no matter what way you look at it. And I know a lot of bills fans and understandably so want to guard against getting too high over a win, but there's a lot to be ecstatic about. Let me run down like just a handful of things for you, and then we'll kind of circle back and hit on them individually. But, I mean, you got Josh Allen, okay? He looked like first month of the season, MVP Josh Allen. Guy threw for over 400 yards, three touchdowns, ran for another, didn't turn the ball over, had 292 yards before halftime. I mean, he completely dominated Seattle. You got Stephon Diggs, nine catches, 118 yards. Dude has been better than anyone realistically hoped that he would be when they gave up a first-round pick at four picks for him. Uh, John Brown, who's been hampered by injuries and still doesn't look 100% out there, eight catches for 99 yards. I thought the defense played well. I mean, they gave up 34 points, Anthony, but they also forced forced, uh, four Russell Wilson turnovers. They sacked him five times, so again, you give up 34 points, but... You get the turnovers. Seattle only went three for 12 on third downs. DK Metcalf got his, but Tyler Lockett, they did a really good job of stopping him. He only had four catches for 40 yards. Jerry Hughes has been a beast past few weeks, man. A sack, a forced fumble, Jordan Poyer's making plays. And then the two biggest things for me, Tremaine Edmonds, I thought he was fantastic. Easily by a mile, his best game of the season. And then AJ Klein, man. (laughs) This guy has been... I can't say anything about anybody because nobody has talked more shit about AJ Klein over this <laughs> season than I have. I've been brutal, horrific to him on Twitter. I have made fun of him on the podcast. I think I might have said that I could be a better linebacker than him at some point. So you go to that game Sunday, man. Five tackles, two sacks, a forced fumble, a recovery, a tackle for a loss, four quarterback hurry, Sal Capaccio, and very rightfully so said, you know, this guy's been vilified all year he might end up being a candidate or maybe even win AFC Defensive Player of the Week this week. So it's just nuts. You know what I'm saying? Before we get into any of the specifics, everything I just listed, it's like, how could you not be pretty high on this team after a win? Which, by the way, against Seattle, who was maybe the best team in the NFC coming into this week.
0: Well, and the cool thing about the game on Sunday Right. And if you just look at the box score, you'll say, oh, the defense maybe really didn't show up, right? 34 points. Russell Wilson passed for 390. But honestly, I mean, a lot of those points, a lot of those yards came in the fourth quarter, right? The Bills were in control of the game. Um, From that standpoint, right, this was that first game where it looked like that's the Bills defense that we remember in a lot of ways. And it matched up with the offense having their most dynamic game right, that we've that we've seen. And from that standpoint, it was just this is what a complete game can look like from this team, not the Rams game, or at least for the first half, it looked like. And then the second half, everybody was just literally holding their breath that the Bills could win that that matchup. But here you go. Right. I mean, and I said it earlier, I don't know if the Bills can stop the Seahawks, but I didn't know if the Seahawks could stop the Bills. But here came Buffalo, like right out the gate and building the lead. Andre Roberts setting the tone and then the defense getting off the field time and time again. And I think it was just that first game and you talked about it, right? Tremaine Edmonds, AJ Klein, Jerry Hughes, you know, the defense had a day. Again, you give up 34 points, that's fine, but they were making plays. You know, not just that point where it's, hey, we're giving up points, but we're really not, you know, making anything happen. Nothing spectacular on the field. You know, you saw it from everybody on the defense on Sunday, and that's pretty exciting.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, Jeremy White had a tweet early during the game on Sunday that really resonated with me, and I remember him saying it very well. He said, we need four stops, meaning the Bills need to stop Seattle four times to win the game. Not only did they do that, dude, they took the ball away four times. I mean, it's one thing to get to force a punt. They took the ball away four times. So at the end of the day, I think the 34 points is a little bit overblown. Sure, you don't want to give up 34 points. You don't want a quarterback to throw for 390. But when you have four turnovers, you have five sacks you're against. By the way, a guy who came into this week the front runner for the MVP. Again, this is a really good team. Let me ask you this: going into that game, like, what were your thoughts going in? Because I'm going to be honest with you, I'd be lying if I thought the Bills had a, maybe more than a 15 to 20 percent chance of winning that game at the most. Like, what were your thoughts going in? Were well, you optimistic?
0: This is one of those pieces that gets to be a little bit of a humble brag for me but I predicted that the Bills would win the game. Wow, and really? It, it was one of those pieces where and I took a look back and there was somebody had shared on Twitter and they were just like look at the Seahawks win-loss record and look at who that they've they've beaten. You know, the only teams that they had played with a winning record were the Arizona Cardinals who they had lost to and they had beaten the Miami Dolphins who, you know, are arguably looking a lot better now than I think people at least thought they would be earlier in the season. Sure. And when you saw that part, and then I was looking at some statistics where they're giving up 358 yards passing a game. And, you know, it's one of those where in many ways, like you're just, nobody's really thinking that the Bills have a chance in this one. But along those same lines, it was just, okay, the Bills are going to be able to put up some points in this game. And as I said before, I wasn't sure that they would be able to, you know, to get enough stops, but... Each week I do a production at, uh, at Buffalo rumblings.com. And as I went through this one, it was just like, when I look at the way Seattle's defense is playing, I've got the bills and I predicted the bills would win 35, 28 in the article. And I put some stuff on Twitter and, you know, I had people telling me I was crazy that, you know, they only scored 18 points against the jets. How were they going to put up enough points to beat the Seahawks? And just a lot of things lined up for the team. And, um, you know, it's one of those that you go into it, you make that prediction, you think it, you you know, the team is due for things to work well for them. And then when it all comes together, you, you feel pretty good about it. Cause you know, we all, we put stuff out in Twitter and articles or our podcasts and, you know, some things you hit on some things you don't, but that one felt pretty good to hit on.
1: Well, props to you, because I, like <laughs> I said, I did, I definitely didn't have it that way. I'll tell you, and it might be a little bit of an overrated stat, but it's got to have some validity to it. You look, and coming into the game, the the stat is that the Bills were, or Sean McDermott, I should say, it was 3-15 against teams that made the playoffs. That is a, a bad stat. Now, I admittedly have not dug deep into it. Maybe there's more to it than meets the eye, but generally speaking, you know, they haven't played that well against good teams. That certainly wasn't the case. And again, this defense, Seattle's defense has struggled all year. I don't care. They're still a good football team. They got a lethal offense and they came into the game, what, six and one. So they're a very good, uh, you know, football team. Now, Josh Allen specifically, I mean, you know, he's, it's it's tough. Buffalo Bills fans, and I think people who cover the team, whether it's professionally, whether it's you know it's a podcast, a blog, whatever it is that you do. I think people know what how good Josh Allen at least can be in Buffalo. I think national people, a lot of them are still kind of learning. They're going back and forth. But, I mean, sure, he, he hasn't played great all season, but he had an amazing first month. Kind of regressed maybe a little bit, but looked pretty good last week. And, and then, you know, he, he played better. He outplayed Russell Wilson. And now... To be fair, you could say the Bills have more talent on defense than Seattle does. You wouldn't be a but I don't care. He outplayed him. Again, over 400 yards, three touchdowns. He was physically unstoppable. That's kind of where I'm arriving. When I think about Sunday's game and somebody asks me, well, what's your take on Josh Allen? My take is this. He was physically unstoppable. The only time the entire afternoon where Josh Allen got stopped, in my mind anyway, was... Josh Allen, you know, was not because of anything he did with his arm or his legs? I think he had a couple uh, mental freezes in the pocket where he held the ball for too long, you know, and didn't get rid of the ball. I think there were a couple of times where he took, I think he took seven or eight sacks for the game. And I'd say maybe half of them were on him. But out, aside from that, I mean, it's also better than enforcing interceptions, too. So, oh, absolutely. You can, absolutely. Lo- you, you can look at it that way. But I felt like he was physically unstoppable. That's where I'm arriving at. Do you kind of feel the same way? Oh yeah,
0: I mean listen, you you can look at his performance yesterday and how he was playing. And it was he was poised, he didn't panic. Like you said, even some of those situations where he took a sack, you know, I remember the one in the second half where you know, in some situations he'd try to fight out of it or heave the ball, he just took a knee. Right? It was like, all right, you got me. I'm going to take a knee rather than try right. and, you know, be hero Josh here. And and from that standpoint, you know, you you just look at the performance that he had yesterday, but along those same lines too. And I know people will talk about, well, the national media—they don't show this respect or this and that. They are completely noticing, right? You talk about a Dan Orlovsky, a Chris Sims, the entire team on Good Morning Football. Like Josh Allen is being noticed; he is getting the recognition. Sure, people are going to ask questions when you go through the four-game stretch before this, and maybe you look at some box scores and you think to yourself, well, you know, what happened against the Patriots or what happened against Kansas City? You know, not every game is going to be a perfect game. But when you think of that first month that he came out this season, right, because we went into this season thinking if he can take another step, just another step, no sort of leap, right, similar from what he did from 2018 to 2019, if he made a similar step this year, yeah, sure they're picking up the fifth year option. Sure you're going to start thinking about contract extensions and all of these pieces. Now you look I mean it's not just a step. I mean it's a it's a broad jump, you know, that he has taken sure. this year. And uh and that was certainly evident, you know, yesterday's game another example. I mean Pat yeah. he almost he almost had 300 yards passing in the first
1: half. It's crazy. That would used to be not even used to be going back <laughs> just a handful of weeks that was like a victory parade for a game, right. three hundred yards. Look, I, I, let me. I, I gotta say this, and again, I really try to guard against coming off as a homer. But you know what? We're nine games in. We're more than halfway through the season, and in my mind, right now, he's in that. There's four people right now. There's a, if there was a a four person race for MVP, he's part of it. He has to be. It's Aaron Rodgers. It's Russell Wilson. Which again, he had a decent game on Sunday, and he's been great this year is, of course, is Patrick Mahomes. it's Josh Allen. You know, Tom Brady, I think, was right there. But he looked like crap against the Saints. And they've lost three games, Tampa, this year. And Tom Brady has looked bad in all three of those losses. So he's played well. He Maybe he's not a washing machine because I thought he was washed. Maybe he's not quite washed yet. But you can't be on an MVP level where 33% of your games were shit games so far this year. So I don't have him on there. I got Josh Allen. I got four people. Maybe... Dalvin Cook is like kind of on the fringe, but he's a running back. Big Ben, certainly the Steelers are undefeated. So, you know, he's well, flirting with being on that list. He's played well, but man, it's just, it's not one or two. It's not a fun little story to start the year. We're more than halfway through the point, and your boy's still playing at an MVP level, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Well, and here's the thing, Pat. And you say, you know, you try not to be a homer and this and that, but right for the stuff that we do when you follow your team, you want it to be fun. Sure. Right. And the Bills have a fun offense right now, which we'd see some glimpses of it last season. You know, sure, in 2018, you know, he'd be running all over the field and do some stuff here and there. He's hurdling Anthony Barr with the Minnesota Vikings, and oh, that's great. Or, you know, he's on angry runs or something along those lines. But the offense wasn't necessarily fun, right? It was this, hey, let's ground and pound, and our defense will keep us in it. And, you know, you make it to the playoffs, and that's all fine and good. But now this season, right? I mean, you just look at the offense and you can say, this is a dynamic offense. And as much credit as we give to, to Josh Allen, right? I mean, that addition of Stefan Diggs too, what a difference maker. I mean, that, sure. is, that is something that we have not seen for some time. And you combine all of those pieces. Um, I don't think his arrival, right? I don't think it's just a coincidence that, uh, that he's made this kind of jump um, without somebody like Stefan Diggs.
1: No, absolutely not. But let me say this, and this is where I would leave it with Josh Allen right now. Last year, and maybe even early this year, when Josh Allen would, he'd make mistakes, he would throw some bad interceptions, and he still does. He'd make boneheaded plays, and he still does, not Sunday withstanding, but he would make a handful of, oh my God, plays. Like, holy shit, how did he make this play? How did he make this throw? Look at this, it's perfect, it's on the run, it's on the move, he's thrown across his body. How did he not get sacked here? And you'd be like, whoa, you would just marvel at it. I'm at the point now with Josh Allen where I'm not that surprised anymore. Like no. when he looked like he was going to run the ball and then he suddenly stopped and, and tucked it in and threw it. I think it was the Gabriel Davis for a touchdown on Sunday. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, I'm expecting him, the throws that he makes escaping sacks, running for first downs, running somebody over, hitting somebody in perfect stride on a sideline throw, you know, where his body doesn't look like it should be making that kind of throw. It doesn't really surprise me anymore. I'm starting to get used to it. It's a good feeling to have, of course.
0: No, it is a good feeling. And like I said, it's, it's not a feeling that we're used to having. And even to your earlier point, when you talked about Sean McDermott's record against good teams, and it's like, listen, and I was a fan of Tyrod Taylor, but he was not that quarterback that was going to be able to put a team on his back and, and carry them to a victory. And then, you know, they start Nathan Peterman for a half coming out of training camp and then Allen's thrust into the starting job. And, you know, we know what 2018 looked like. And then you just see that progression. And, you know, I think that touchdown pass to Davis that you just mentioned, right? I mean, a little bit of improvisation. I mean, looked like he was going to tuck his head down and run all of a sudden, quick step back. I mean, it was just, you know, like this deceptive move, right? Almost a, you know, you think somebody driving to the to the hole in basketball, and they do a quick stop, pull up jumper, and uh, and that was the type of move. And you know, you see those types of things, and it's just it's okay to be excited. It's okay, Bills fans, to to feel good about your team. And you know, even if we come across like homers just a little bit, I think that's uh, I think that's fine.
1: Well, that kind of goes back to why I said I'm. I just I refuse to be completely subdued about this win because if you wanted to have a fair criticism of Buffalo, maybe coming into the game. It would you could say, well, sure, but who did they beat? You know, who did they beat this year? Maybe the Raiders was their best win. That was their signature win, perhaps. Coming in, I mean, they did beat New England. That's the monkey off the back, but New England's not a very good football team. You know, the Raiders are probably their best win, I would say, but this is their best win now. They beat an elite team. I mean, every power ranking that I saw last week, I'm pretty sure had Seattle no lower than three, and in many cases, they were number two right behind the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, I'm glad you said too, because we keep talking about Josh Allen, and we could talk about him forever. He's not doing it by himself. Stefan right. Diggs, what a revelation he's been! You know, I was pretty happy on the trade when it when it happened. In fact, I remember it. I was it was a Monday night. I was in the middle of taping a podcast with uh, Greg Thompson from Cover One when the trade happened, and we have reacted like literally in real time. Greg, kind of again, you know, if we do want to sit there and be objective. Well, Greg became a fan real quick, <laughs> right on the air as it happened. He's like, yeah, baby, yeah. You know, he was all excited about it, which is cool. But anyway, you know, I expected him to, to be good. And I worried a little bit about ball distribution. I worried a little bit about what would happen if he wasn't getting the ball enough. Because there were incidents in Minnesota. It was a problem. Not a problem in Buffalo, though, man. Holy shit. This guy has been better than I think anyone realistically thought it could be. We're nine weeks in. He is leading the entire NFL in both receptions and receiving yards. So literally nobody has been better in the NFL this year at the wide receiver position than Stefan Diggs. I mean, he, you could just, you could see the trust and the chemistry and the bond that Josh and, and Stefan have right now. It's just remarkable. It's kind of like he's open even when he's not open, you know? Well, and Pat, here's the thing too, right?
0: Going into this season, and you know, you'd, you'd see and hear a little bit of the drama that took place in Minnesota, and you're thinking, well, that was, you know, they were a run heavy team, but then you're thinking a little bit in the back of your mind, right? Well, Buffalo's a bit of a run heavy team too. Like, how is that going to look out from a, a distribution standpoint? Like you said, I mean, here's the deal though, right now. I mean, he has 91 targets on the season through nine games. Last year in Minnesota, through 15 games, he had 94 targets total. He has the same number of receptions this season, right. 63, as he did all last season. And I will say, right, because people will talk about Sean McDermott and the offense or the defense, and you know they give Brian Dable all the credit for the offense, but McDermott's the head coach, and if he was not on board with saying, "Hey, we're going to go into this game and in the first half," You know, thirty-one plays. We're going to pass the ball twenty-eight times. Like to look into things and saying, "Hey, we can adapt. We can be that type of offense when we need to." And oh, by the way, when we play the Patriots, and there's fifty mile an hour wins and they're playing us to pass, we can run the ball down your throat too if we really have to 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 win a, a game like that. That might not be the prettiest. And but Stefan Diggs, I mean, just right for them to take this type of a weapon and say, "We are just going to." kind of unleash the beast here, right? In a little bit. Um, What a revelation, man. It has been a lot of fun to watch him play and be just such a, a great addition to the team.
1: He really has been a revelation and he helps John Brown and John Brown helps him too. There's a difference in this offense when John Brown is on the field. I mean, this guy is a good football player. We saw that last year. And we're seeing it this year. We're seeing his value maybe even now more this year than we did last year because that offense, the first month of the season, they were unstoppable. And I think it was the Raiders game where he went down. He missed the Tennessee game. He came back, but he was nowhere near 100% against the Chiefs. And then that Jets game, I think he might've missed the Jets game too, completely. And then he only had a couple targets. I think maybe two targets against the Patriots. It was almost like he was a decoy. But anyway, he was back. And they, by the way, their worst offensive outputs this year have been when John Brown's been hurt. Um, he was back Sunday, and he played a big-ass role. Eight catches for 99 yards. And I'll tell you what, Anthony, I think, in my opinion anyway, the play of the game was... So the Bills were up. It was early in the fourth quarter. Seattle, we started to get a little bit nervous. You mentioned that Rams game earlier. I'm not going to lie. I started thinking about that Rams game because the Bills were up. It was uh, 27-10. And then... Seattle scored 10 straight unanswered points. And just like that, it's a one-score game. It's 27-20, early in the fourth. The Bills were at the Seattle 35. And they were facing the third and 16. And props to Brian Gable, who called a brilliant call, man. That bubble screen to John Brown, who, you know, he took off. He caught the ball. Great blocking. And he, I don't even want to say sprinted. He kind of gimped his way because he's still not quite 100%. He didn't get in. But he 33 yards, he took it down to the... uh two-yard line, and then two plays later, Zach Moss scored, and the Bills were back up 14 and never in danger again. But to me, that screen pass to John Brown, I thought it was a play of the game. Again, a one-score game, uh, you're starting to feel the nerves a little bit, but bam, he he connects, third and 16, down to the two, and they go back up two scores and never really were in danger again. So, you know, John Brown plays a big role on this football team.
0: Now, and John Brown, and you're right, I mean, the games that he is not on the field – the offenses look so different. And again, they're, you know, different factors, different pieces. You want to talk about the weather, this and that. But no, when John Brown is in the lineup, that's when they're having their most dynamic performances. And great call on your part, right? That third and 16, you're starting to think to yourself, is this when it slips away? Yep. Right? Is this going to be that point? And not only does he get the first down, I mean, I thought he was taking it into the end zone, that he was going to drag the defenders with him. But even to get it down to the two, three yard line, you know, that's that play that it went from, man, is this game going to be in doubt? Because even from that standpoint, yeah, you're talking about a long field goal. I mean, Tyler Bass has certainly been more consistent, but you never know, right? Rookie kicker, all of these pieces, you know, you don't want it to be a 10 point game. Like you said, you want it to be 14. And at that point, that just was when you finally start to felt like, oh, no, the bills are going to win this game.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you. That play went better than they could have imagined because I, I feel like, so they're on the 35-yard line, and if they don't get anything on third and 16, you you're yeah, you're looking at a 52, 53-yard field goal in the fourth quarter of a tight game from a rookie kicker who's definitely shown the the strength in his leg, but has been, at times, a little inconsistent, although I, I'm starting to get a little more confidence in him. He looked pretty good. I thought his kicks, none of them even flirted with missing on Sunday. I thought he was really good. But anyway, my point was this, yeah, one score game, that only picks up two, three yards if they sniff it out or for Josh throws a bad pass at his ankles and and he drops it. You are looking at a potentially a long field goal and if they happen to miss, you know, it's a one score game with Seattle having the ball in really good field position. So I thought that was a huge play. That and then like three plays later, um, Trey White with the interception and he returned all the way to the Seattle three and Josh ran in, took it himself to put the game essentially away which again, that's Trey White, and that's the defense. The defense, it we've talked about this. It sounds weird to say that you gave up 34 points and a quarterback threw for 390 on you, man, but mix in those four turnovers and the five sacks and the pressure, and they did a pretty good job of stopping the run, and this defense played pretty goddamn good, and Jerry Hughes, again, who for five or six weeks, man, Anthony, I was criticizing him. I was like, where is this guy? I kept seeing all the all 22 experts saying he's doing his job. He's getting pressure on the quarterback. And so I'm like, well, you know what? Where's the sack? Give me a fumble. Give me something. He's given us a lot these last three weeks. Dude has been a beast. Now he has been everywhere on the field.
0: And again, you, you know, you can look at things and it's that fine line of, you know, that that difference between having no sacks and one sack. And and right when you talk about the all 22 and, and those who can break those things down. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and, and say, I know the uh, the, you know, the win pass rate reception, blah, 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 you know, all these different pieces that you can go through with. There's guys that are a lot smarter than I am that can can break those pieces down. But when you look at it and you just see the lift that was coming really from the defense again on Sunday, Jerry Hughes a huge part of that, but you talked about Trey White. Um, and it was White and Poyer, right, that had the two interceptions. And yeah. Jeremy White had talked about it earlier in the week too, and, and Jeremy's another one of those great guys that you know, always willing to, I don't know, kind of get back to you on different things is just as far as the community goes. But he had mentioned on his show that, you know, Hyde, Poyer, and White had no interceptions yet this season, right? And what a difference that makes on the defense. And, And then it was almost like on cue the next day, you know, here you've got, you know, White and Poyer coming with two huge interceptions in the game. And, you know, those are Backbreaking plays, right? For a for an offense when you think about that and you add the strip sacks from from Hughes and AJ Klein and you know, people like you talking shit about Klein all these weeks, Pat. Um it just I've was killed him.
1: See. I, I have. I have I have absolutely been uh horrible on him and relentless. But listen, and- I
0: mean in all due like, you know, as you look at this though, he was struggling mightily. Right. And maybe they were asking him to do things that they shouldn't have been asking him to do. I mean, from this standpoint, but it was it was a lot of struggles with him on the field and and it showed. I mean, the defense was just not. They were just not there. And and whatever
1: they did differently in the game
0: on Sunday, A.J. Klein was an
1: absolute terror. <laughs> well, uh, oh, he was an absolute terror. There's no question about it. Dude, he just. He, he sucked earlier this year, man. He just wasn't <laughs> playing good football, taking bad angles, missing tackles. He just looked terrible. He did. And he got to, it got to the point where there were discussions, not just from me. I'm just, one oh, yeah. person. I've I mean, heard plenty of them where people were saying, you know, criticizing Brandon Bean for not going out and getting a linebacker before the trade deadline, because it looks like. I don't want to speculate because that's all I would be doing literally is speculating. I have no inside information. I have no idea other than what everyone else sees and reads and hears, but it don't look good for Matt Milano right now. I don't know when or if he's going to be back. And if he does come back, it doesn't look like he's going to get anywhere near a hundred percent again until probably he has surgery at some point. Like he can't lift that arm above his shoulder. You know, it's bad. So a lot of people, including myself, we're very critical of Brandon being not trading for somebody. But look, it's just one game, but you got to start somewhere and you got to be able to eat some crow. And I'm certainly, and I know I'm out by myself, but I'm eating a lot of crow because in my opinion, after Josh Allen, I think AJ Klein was the most impactful football player on the field Sunday. Can you imagine Sunday at 1230? Now you said you picked the Bills <laughs> to win. I'll give you props for that. Dude, I will worship you if you tell me that you expected AJ Klein to have one of the top two or three most impactful games in a Buffalo Bills victory. If you said AJ Klein's going to have an impactful afternoon, it probably would have been for the wrong reasons, don't you think?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you look at all of these pieces, right, and it's, I mean, Klein, just like you said, everybody was just ready to like, who else can play linebacker at this time? And and really as you look at all of these pieces, and again, I, I wrote this piece on uh in the same article, right? And I just said the loss of Milano leaves a big hole in the Bills defense with AJ Klein set to start in his place. Klein has certainly struggled in Milano's absence, and it will be interesting to see if he can show improvement against the Seahawks. I speak for all Bills fans when I say that I hope he can. And yeah. he did, right? And it's one of those pieces where you're just again. Pat, I mean, I don't I don't look at things enough to say, you know, I know exactly which gap a linebacker should be in. Or if someone looked tentative here, those pieces, I I look to others that are are much more uh, educated along those pieces than than I am. But when you just see, again, kind of that that energy and and folks saying even before, right, him playing north to south is great. Him going east to west, not so much. And he was certainly playing north to south on uh, on Sunday and it showed.
1: Sure, and again, haters out there are going to say sometimes bad football players just have a good game. Now, if you have faith in Brandon Bean, you know what? This guy was a pretty good football player with New Orleans. He knew he was an early signing, and you feel good about it that maybe I don't expect him to play like he did every Sunday like he just did against Seattle, but I also expect more from now going forward because now he set the bar a little bit. I mean, the bar couldn't have been any lower, but now he's set the bar, and we're like, all right, well, we don't have to be crippled at this position with that without Matt Milano out there. You know what I'm saying? But the biggest thing for me, like my biggest takeaway from this game, and I know it's all about the offense, and the offense is sexy, and you know, they put up 44 points, and that's awesome. But for me, the biggest takeaway for this game, I think the most important part of this game for me personally was Tremaine Edmonds because I he's looked lost this year. He's not hundred percent and he's kind of been engulfed a little bit. I mean, I mean, once he gets caught, the wrong gaps, a guard or a tackle or a center get their hands on him, and it's over. He's been getting pushed back five, ten yards. He just never seems to be in position this year. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure the injury had a lot to do with it. But anyway, Sunday was the Tremaine Edmonds that I'm all for. I'm all for that guy. He was flying around. He was hitting his gaps. He was good in coverage, and he was flying to the football. That is the quarterback of the defense. That is the guy that they took in the first round in 2018. That they want, and and now more than ever, especially with Milano out and other injuries on this team, they need that Tremaine Edmonds. So when I look at the big takeaways from this game, the biggest one for me is that Tremaine Edmonds is an critical, crucial part of this defense. And I thought he looked apart. I thought he was excellent on Sunday.
0: No, he was everywhere on the field, and you know it's one of those pieces I have not. I've not been critical of Tremaine Edmonds, right? Because I think with a lot, you know that he was battling through injuries and and we've seen him play fantastic in the past, like most notably last season, right? Certainly some growing pains as a, as a rookie where at least early on maybe seemed a little bit tentative or a little bit lost at the time. But, you know, in this season, you just knew, right? He goes down, he gets hurt in that first game week one against the Jets. And you're just thinking to yourself, okay, You know, he comes back, you know that he's playing hurt, but but it's just not that same player. And you know that it's in there, right? You know that it's not just a matter of all of a sudden he forgot how to play or he doesn't have the instincts anymore, any of these pieces. Um, So I don't know if it was right kind of going back and using the term used before being a little bit of a homer of trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. But but I really was. And it was just great to see him deliver in such a big game because you know, you look at, you know, again, a first round draft pick, all of these pieces, the quarterback of the defense, um, with him being right. And I don't know if it was, Hey, maybe AJ Klein played a good game. It allowed, you know, Edmonds to play a little bit more free or vice versa or whatever it may be. I don't know what it was, but it was just great to see kind of that old Tremaine Edmonds back on the field. And, uh, hopefully we can see more of that going forward.
1: I think it's very important to the, ultimately to the, success of this team that that is a Tremaine Edmonds going forward. Before I let you get out of here, man, I want to ask you this question. Not that it matters. It literally doesn't matter. But how sold do you think the country is right now? Like the national media and the fans who are you know just fans of the National Football League. How sold do you think they are right now on the Buffalo Bills sitting at seven and two and being in the Seattle Seahawks in a game that again, 10 points doesn't sound that convincing, but you know, I was really hard on the Bills. When they lost to Kansas City by nine, I never felt like the game was that close. I felt like Kansas City completely dominated the game and almost kind of toyed with the Bills. And again, the score wasn't indicative of uh, the domination in that game. I kind of feel the same way about this game. It was a 10-point game, but I feel like the Bills came out literally from the opening kickoff. And I'm glad you brought that up. Andre Roberts really set the tone literally on the first play of the game. And uh, I thought for the most part, the Bills just completely dominated Seattle. So you factor that in. Do you think the Bills are getting or going to get this week the respect that they deserve, or are people just like—is it more about Seattle loss as opposed to the Bills went out and and beat a really good team? Like, what's your thoughts on that?
0: You, you know what? I make the correlation with this, and as you're asking the question, the first thing that popped into my head: like, Are you a fan of college basketball at all? Yeah, I right. Am. I mean, en- enough that you right you you do brackets and you know March Madness and these pieces. Sure. Like- you know, I look at the Bills as one of those mid-major type of teams, right? Like you think when Gonzaga first came up on the scene or Creighton or Xavier and and they wouldn't get that respect of a, a Louisville or a Kentucky or a Syracuse or any of those big conference type of teams that just when you would say their names, there would automatically be a level of respect given to those opponents. But if you would put them on the team against a Gonzaga, against an Xavier, you know, you, if you switched the jerseys, you wouldn't really know, right? You'd have a team that could go out there and compete with anyone, regardless of what city they were from or how they represented. But you're coming, you know, off of like kind of this perception of like, oh yeah, you're just like the little brother over here. That's fine. You've got a nice team, but what happens when you play against the big boys? And I feel like that's how things are with the bills right now, right? Early in the season, those mid-major teams, they never get that kind of respect. The media is not really talking about them a whole lot. And, you know, as I was saying before, sometimes the national media that doesn't respect the bills, whatever. I mean, are these guys even spending five minutes watching the bills or are they just looking at a, you know, at a box score? But the those that you you see spend some time in it. I I always go back to the Good Morning Football crew because I think they do a great job of you know, kind of putting in the work and, and highlighting a lot of the teams and just the positive that they do across the country. But it's that part of the season, right? Like early on in the year, no one's going to care about those mid-major teams. Yeah, maybe they, you know, they did something last year in the tournament. But with the Bills this year, you know, it's it's not those early season games anymore, right? It's you're not to March Madness yet. You're not to the playoffs, but you've made enough noise that now it's one of those situations where yeah, you've got to take them pretty seriously. And some people aren't just going to give him any credit because, oh, it's just Buffalo or it's this. Or, you know, you hear people still doubting Josh Allen, which I have no idea anyone, if they could have watched the game yesterday, how could, could not give him the credit. But, you know, from that standpoint, it's like, listen, it's okay just being Buffalo, kind of being slept on a little bit. I think Sean McDermott and the team, they like that. You know, kind of mentality and mindset as best as they possibly can, and you know, when it comes time to uh, to the playoffs, they'll be ready to go.
1: I'll tell you, my perception of this team right now is last year's team that went ten and five, and I know they technically went ten and six. I say ten and five because they, <laughs> that Jets game don't count. They, they, if they even tried remotely to win that football game, they absolutely would have won it. So I'm not giving them a loss. To me, they were ten and five. But anyway, last year it was kind of a. Yeah, like you said, a mid-major kind of feel with them. I I feel like this year it's still not at the level that I think it deserves to be, but I do think for the most part, from what I see anyway, I I think nationally the Bills are being taken more serious, like I said, certainly more than last year where maybe some people felt like it was going to be an anomaly because a lot of people were not sold on Josh Allen last year, whereas I think he's winning a lot of new fans over for sure uh, this year. You know, the one thing that sucks too is I don't really suck, but it is what it is. Is New England's buried. All right. Now we're taping this before the Monday night game, but who really gives a shit about that game anyway? They're buried in they're buried in the division. But the thing is, Miami, man, they're you know, it's not quite time. Now it's you can celebrate for a little bit because again, the Bills at seven and two in New England at least three to four games back. They're done. All right, they're not going anywhere this year. You can't really you can't exhale too much. Because Miami just went out and beat Arizona on the road. They're pretty good, man. They're five and three. Uh, their next month, they their next four, I'm looking right now, their next four games are playing at home against the Chargers, at Denver, at the New York Jets, and at home against Cincy. Those are four games they're going to be favorite in. It's very conceivable that going into week 13 or whatever, they're going to be nine and three. So they're not done. The Bills are not ready to even come close to cruising to, now I should say too, Miami's last month, it might be a little bit of a facade because the last month, you're talking Kansas City at home and then the Patriots but then they're at Vegas and at Buffalo to finish the year So, but still, until it happens, the Bills, what I'm saying is nine weeks in at 72 with New England buried the Bills still are not cruising to this divisional title because Miami still got a lot to say about it
0: Oh yeah, there's still plenty of work to do Uh, for the Bills. I mean, you look at the schedule. I mean, the 49ers are a little bit of a mess right now. Who knows what'll happen with the Chargers, right? I mean, they look great, but they always seem to find a way to lose in the last minute. But I mean, Herbert has looked really good so far, but it is going to be interesting. And for the Dolphins to be competing, I mean, I thought last week's win against the Rams was a bit of a mirage because, I don't know, they put up like 150 yards of offense, but they got special teams touchdowns and defensive touchdowns and you know, despite the Rams going for almost 500 yards of offense, they got blown sure. out in that game. But then Miami comes back and they beat, you know, the Arizona Cardinals who, you know, been real competitive this season. And we'll find out how they look. And I, the I
1: watched that game, Anthony. I watched it. And uh, I do think to some extent Arizona kind of blew that game a little bit. But the point being is Miami's competitive. Yes. As they're, not, they're not just going to roll over. That defense is pretty damn good. Not a lot of stars on that team. But they're good. I mean, they got the, the flashy new Toyota quarterback, which, you know, the media loves. And he's played decent his first two games. They've won. So I don't know, man, but they're not going anywhere. Anyway, listen, I'm going to let you go. Before that, as we're taping this, I am just came across my feed here. We were talking about Josh Allen's grandmother passing and Bill's fans donating money to the hospital. $100,000 now. Wow. They just announced it's been so far more then $100,000 as we taped this Monday early evening has been donated to the children's hospital in honor of Josh Allen's grandmother. Dude, that is just freaking unbelievable. That that's that's unbelievable.
0: Well, and I think oh. for anyone that has had any right loss within their their family, especially at you know, a grandmother and just you, you have to think to yourself, right? Getting that news on Saturday and then having to go out and play on Sunday, and not only just to play, but to play at that level. You saw how emotional Allen was in the locker room, bringing the team together um, after Sean McDermott's speech, different reports about just how emotional he was with his offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, after the game. Um, You know, a remarkable show of support from Bills fans and just uh, kind of the love for Josh Allen and this team and him as their quarterback. But uh, the generosity, I mean, that is Truly amazing, right? And in, in less than just over 24 hours, over $100,000.
1: Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Bills Mafia is more than just a hashtag. It's more than just a fan base. It really, truly is. And when you see something like this, it just, again, it shouldn't be surprising, but it, it just is. It's incredible. But anyway, follow Anthony on Twitter, at Anth I probably don't need to tell people this because they already are, but make sure you check out Buffalo Rumblings and check out Anthony's podcast. Yeah. I'll tell you what, by the way, there's so many good podcasts on your network. You got like 10 million of them. A couple of them are bound to be good. It is. <laughs> no, I, I enjoy yours though. Breaking Buffalo rumblings, really good show, man. And uh, yeah, it's uh it's a lot of fun to listen to very informative. And uh, you do a really good job. Like I said, I'm a little bit jealous of your voice and now that you got everything together, it's a, A really high-quality show, man. I really thank you very, very much for coming on this podcast. It was good to finally get you on.
0: Well, I appreciate you having me on. And like I said, I appreciate you just, uh, I don't know, just kind of bringing everybody together in so many ways. Your show is always a great listen, but I, I appreciate the kind words that you said about not just myself, but everything we're doing at Buffalo Rumblings as well.
1: All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you one more time, Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblings. That was a good chat. A lot of fun getting to know Anthony on the podcast. That's some really good takes. So thank you very much, Anthony. Thank you to all you out there for listening. If you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do that right now. Rate and review. Only take a second and do it. It really helps me continue to grow this podcast. And again, the same way I end every podcast, thank you very, very much for listening. We talked about it, me and Anthony on the show today. There's just so many good podcasts out there, so many great options. And when you spend 30, 60 minutes, whatever it is of your time listening to this show once, twice a week, it really means a lot to me. It does. I don't take that for granted. I promise you that. So thank you very much. Have a good, safe week. And I will be back with a brand new episode on Friday.